this is exam season for many of our young people. How many of you are taking exams at the moment of any description? Okay, we're going to pray for you at the end, okay? Doesn't mean you haven't got to revise, just because we're going to pray for you. Let me just say that, okay? There you go, parents, one for you. Um, but you know, exams and tests are part of life, actually. And yesterday as a church, we all, many of us put ourselves through an examination and a test of sorts. We had our collective triathlon here at church. How many of you are a part of that? Yeah, it was great to see so many people involved. We swam, we ran, we run, we ate burgers because we're health conscious like that. Um, so, and it was a massive, massive effort from the church and loads of people took part. And it was all to raise money for great projects for the kids' work that we support, a uh, feeding program we support in Zambia and a new project that we're sending a team to in South Africa this year. I want to say a massive thank you to the person who organised it and who worked so hard to put it all together. I'd like to put your hands together for Mr. Pete Barks at the back of church. Thank you. It was a great effort uh, and seeing people who, you know, hadn't swam before or hadn't swam for a long time anyway, hopefully they've swam before, um, you know, really pushing themselves and, and one fella did 97 lengths, you know, in the pool, which I couldn't do a width with armbands, so 97, 97 lengths and just loads of great stuff going on. But you test yourself when you do things like that, don't you? You put yourself in a position to be tested and to be examined and uh, those of you that are having exams at the moment, here are some real life examination answers to to some questions, okay? And just to prove it's not just a preacher story, I'm going to show you the actual uh, uh, results, okay, the actual things. So, someone at, was, this was the question in the exam, what ended in 1896? And this bright spot said 1895, <laughs> which to me is totally logical, really. Here's another one, where was the American Declaration of Independence signed? Someone said, at the bottom. It's <laughs> where you sign everything, isn't it? And I love this one, name the, the quadrilateral, okay, so name the shape, the square and whatever. And here were the names of the quadrilaterals, Bob, <laughs> Sam, Teddison, I don't know what kind of name Teddison is, Kate and Harry, so there's another one there. What happens during puberty to a boy? What a great answer. He says goodbye to his childhood and enters adultery. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't. Hopefully he doesn't. Uh, and I love the honesty of this one. I earn money at home by, and Frankie says, I don't, I am a freeloader. <laughs> That's great self-awareness, isn't it, Frankie? You are a freeloader. <laughs> this is clever as well. To change centimetres to metres, you take out centi. <laughs> there you go. It's done, isn't it? You've done it. Fantastic. <laughs> Now, this may be over the head for some of you, but hopefully some of you will get it. What is meant by the term hermaphrodite? And this bright spot said Lady Gaga. <laughs> explain, explain the phrase free press. And I love this one. When your mom irons trousers for you. Not in our house. We charge them. Okay, but uh, there you go. And it's the, the final one, again. Miranda can't see anything when she looks down a microscope. Suggest one reason why not. She's blind. <laughs> and I love what the teachers put, nice try, nice try. So, you know, when you go through exams and tests, they can bring out the best in you, and sometimes they can bring out the worst in you. But, you know, if you this morning want to be a follower of God, okay, then you're in Babylon, because that's our culture. And Babylon tests you every single day of your life. It puts you through the examination process, it says, you swim a few lengths, swim more. 
You've climbed a few hills, climb more. You've run a few you know, miles, run more. It tests you and it brings out the best or at times it can bring out the worst in you. And the folks that we're looking at, Daniel and his three friends, they went through incredible tests in Babylon. And uh, we've learned over the last few weeks, if you've been with us, that they thrived. They thrived because firstly, they made decisions consistent with their deepest values. Secondly, they intentionally did life with the right people. And thirdly, as we looked at last week, they deepened their roots, especially worship, prayer, and community. But, but there's more to it than that. You see, you can thrive like that. Does that mean that God will then make it so that everything works out exactly how you want it to be? I wish that were the case, but it's not. Let's read in uh, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king, the emperor, summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the three friends of Daniel. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar says, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? We looked at last week. What Babylon says, you've got to fall down and worship the culture. These guys said, we're not going to do that. We worship God. The result is that the king says, then we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace. That's a big test. That's a big test. Then fast forward it years, and Daniel, an old man now in his 70s or 80s, with a different king, faces a similar kind of challenge. In Daniel 6.13, then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the, man went as, then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Talk about being tested, yeah? Talk, I mean, that's, that's more than a triathlon. That's more than a GCSE or an A-level. That's a massive test. And it's incredibly, that is a test of your faith and your trust in God. And they do all these things that mean that they thrive. And yet still, they get thrown into a furnace and they get thrown into a pit. Now, we're looking at these this morning as metaphors to describe the kind of experiences that life can bring to us. And just because you say that you follow God does not mean that you're exempt from these kind of tough experiences. In fact, often you, you get quite a few of them. How many of you know that's true? You go through furnace experiences where it feels like the heat is going to you know, singe you completely. You go into pits where, where things you feel are going to devour you. And you go into those experiences of life. But I love this quote. You will never master Shakespeare if all you have on your bookshelves are the comedies. You see, Shakespeare, to understand Shakespeare, is not just the comedies, but the histories and the tragedies as well. That's part of what it means to do life. The tough times reveal a lot about a person, and they reveal our mindsets. When you go through tough times, it reveals the mindset that you live in your life. Someone last week came to me and said, I wonder if by us being in Babylon, being captive, we've actually got a captive mindset. And it set me off thinking about this, and I thought, that is so true. And when I look at this cage, I think that represents mindsets that can constrict our growth and constrict our ability to thrive. And the first one is a captive mindset. We can sometimes feel in our circumstances, I'm just held captive. I will never thrive because of this. 
I'm at university. I'm in a difficult marriage. I'm in a difficult work environment. Whatever it is. And that captive mindset reveals something that God wants to change. You know, the Apostle Paul um, was a great man in the New Testament. And he was a very active man. Uh, he, He traveled thousands of miles preaching and starting churches and, and, and being active and then twice in his, his life he was, he was constrained through, by being in prison. And on one of those occasions he's in prison, he's not going anywhere, he's not planted any churches, he's in prison, he's chained up and in Philippians it says this, he says this, these chains have served to advance the gospel. You see you can be captive and not have a captive mindset and what he's saying is this, even though I'm in prison, I'm thriving. And you see, his view of life was this, things happen to me. Yes, they do. But when things happen to me, God wants things to happen in me. And when things happen in me, God is going to do some things through me. So I don't know what kind of captivity you may feel that you're in this morning. But I want you to know, you do not have to have a captive mindset. Because whenever things happen to us, God is at work doing things in us. And when God does things in us, God wants to do great things through us. When I was, I said it at the first service, when I was a young man, I'll rephrase it. When I was a younger man, okay, um, in my 20s, uh, I used to read a lot of Christian biographies. They used to really inspire me. They still do. And one of the ones that I read that really impacted me, many of you will know who this lady is, uh, was an American lady called Johnny Erickson. Hard as she, as she was in later life. Any of you know that story? Johnny Erickson. And as a 17-year-old, Johnny Erickson, carefree teenager, same age as Emily this morning, you know, blonde hair. And she dived into a pool and uh, it was too shallow and she hit the bottom and she came out a, a quadriplegic. And uh, she learned to paint by using paintbrush in her teeth. She learned to sing, made albums. She learned to write loads of books. And then a few years uh, kind of, well, many, many, few years after I'd read the story, I had the privilege of not only meeting her, but playing for her at Spring Harvest where she sang some songs. So I met this woman that I'd read the, the, the book about, and she was amazing. I'd read the book and met the person. It was like, this is phenomenal. You know, you kind of even better than I read in the book. And one of the things that, that really impacted me in her autobiography was this. She said, you know, when I was, realized that was quadriplegic and said, I went for prayer lots of times. I went for prayer for healing. And she had lots of different real struggles. She said, but I came to a point when I realized that the wheelchair became the prison that set me free. Now that is an unbelievable mindset, isn't it? An unbelievable mindset to say, I may be captive physically, but I'm not captive in my mind. And actually, that's when you thrive. That's when you thrive. But not only a captive mindset, we can also have a victim mindset. Many of us have a victim mindset. Nothing good will ever happen to me. This is just another occasion of something bad happening to me. And I, you might not believe this, I know what it is to battle with that. And I think many of us in this room know what it is to battle with that. We just don't want to admit it. A victim mindset. We can also have a, a fantasist mindset where we imagine we're thriving, but we're not. Or when we're pretending we are when we're not. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I want to say sometimes we as Christians get a little bit bonkers. All right? And one of the things we get a little bit bonkers about is that whole thing of saying, I'm going to be positive so I'm not ill even when I am. There's a difference between being positive and being delusional. Okay? There really is. And a fantasist mindset does not help us to thrive, it doesn't look at reality. You see, looking at reality and having an expectancy in God are not mutually exclusive. They're really not. So we can have that. We can also have an entitlement mindset. God, if I do this for you, then I expect this in return. 
Uh, and I know this from firsthand through a friend of mine who has got himself into a pickle by really believing that God had said that something was going to happen in his life and it hasn't happened. And a few years later, he's kind of enabled that. He's allowed that rather to become something that's turned him almost away. Uh, and he's lost a lot through that whole process. Because we can get into an entitlement mindset. If I follow you, God, then everything will work out this way. That's not faith. That's not real faith and real trust. That's something else. And so we come to our fourth and final big idea. These guys in the fiery furnace and Daniel, they developed a different kind of mindset. And that was a mindset of genuine faith. And here's the big idea. We thrive by developing an immovable, unshakable trust in who God is. We thrive by developing an immovable, unshakable trust in who God is. And I want to just kind of demonstrate that for you a little bit this morning. And um, Martin, would you come and join me? Because you're always going for a laugh. Would you put your hands together and encourage Martin? (laughs) Just the disappointment, mate. Just come and join me. Um, Now, we've known each other a, a couple of years, Martin, and we've spent a little bit of time together. Do you trust me? Yes. Good, that's the right answer. But I've always been delusional. Yeah, that's right. I knew you were the wrong one to pick. Yeah, I'm doing the jokes in. I'm joking. So, so you, you do trust me, and, yeah. I, and I, I believe that. But if I said to you, that's good. If you had any problems with your car, any gardening issues or any DIY, would you trust me in those areas? No, exactly, because you know that I'm useless at stuff like that. And sometimes as Christians, we get misguided about trust. We think trust comes automatically, and it really doesn't. So he can trust my character, but he doesn't necessarily trust me in those areas because he knows I'm useless at that. So you kind of trust me, but you trust me to a degree. Now, I know you've had a lot more to do with Simon. So do you trust Simon? Simon, would you come and join us then? Are you sure? Not with DIY, though. (laughs) No, no. Okay, so I'd like you to face that direction. And many of you have seen this a hundred times before, but we're going we're gonna to put this trust thing to the test. You see, does Martin trust his life into the hands of some... Come back a bit closer. He's all right, he's there. Yeah, can yeah, yeah. Can't miss him, can you? So does he trust his life into the hands of Simon? In other words, what you're going to do is that... Get off your phone. No, he's not. <laughs> what you're going to do is that you're just going to fall back, okay? And that man there, once he opens his eyes, open your eyes... He's, he's going to catch you, okay? Do you trust him? I do, yeah. All right, here we go. I'm three. Three, two, one. Oh, very good. Very good. Round of applause. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You see, trust, trust I want to say, developing trust is a process. It is a process. And we can develop an immovable, unshakable trust in who God is. But there's a process to that. And I want to take you through this story to show you the different levels, the different kind of moments when their trust level increases and they go to that next level. You see, how do we, what, what does it look like to have an immovable, unshakable trust in who God is regardless of what's happening? Well, firstly, it's rooted in who God is. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, they weren't being disrespectful to authority. They just knew where real authority was. It says, it's rooted in who God is. We understand who God is. And you may be the king over our bodies, but you're not the king over our lives. You may have authority over us at one level, but you don't have the ultimate authority over us. That belongs to the king. But then it realizes that faith is no exemption from trouble. And I love this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace. So in other words, they say, listen, just because we love God, just because we believe in God, we know that doesn't mean that we won't be thrown into the furnace. 
And some of us as Christians, I know when you first become a Christian, you first start following him, that mindset can get into you where you think, well, I'm going through a bad time. How can that be when I said I'm believing God? Where are you? They fully realize that just because they love God does not mean they won't be thrown into the furnace if we're thrown into the furnace. But then there's another level of trust where you remember God is not dead. Isn't that right? God's not dead. We talked about that last week. He's not dead. And they say this, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, in other words, it could happen, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And they say, and they declare that phrase that we've sung about this morning, our God is able. We believe that, don't we? We believe that. And there are loads of people in this room who could tell you stories of when God intervened in their life, where God shown that he was able. Because we believe that God saves And we believe that God heals physically and emotionally and spiritually. We believe that God intervenes, don't we? Is anybody other than me getting mildly excited? Okay, I feel like I'm on my own here. And we believe that God intervenes. We believe God uh, accelerates. We believe God decelerates. We believe God strengthens and he equips and he comforts. Our God is able. And that's a great level of faith to operate at. And this morning you might be in a situation where you think, I'm stuck here in this situation, in this circumstance. It's like a fiery furnace or a pit. I want you to know our God is able. He's able to deliver you from that. He is able. But there is another level of faith and trust even deeper than that. And this goes off the charts, I think. Here it goes. Read it again. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I believe that's one of the most powerful verses in the whole Bible. Because it says, it's God, whatever circumstance I'm in, I have faith and trust that you are able to deliver me from it. But if you don't, I'm still going to love you anyway. That's a level of faith and trust I want to get to, don't you? Where we say, God, we believe that you're able. And we pray and we believe and we look. But if you don't, we're still going to love you anyway. I I just think that's mind-blowing. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Mike Iaconelli, who was a guy who died a few years ago in a car accident, was a great writer. I love his books. He said this, The Jesus who can rescue you is the one you can trust even when you're not rescued. The Jesus who can rescue you, and he can, is the one you can trust even when you're not rescued. You see, ultimately, trusting God, we develop it by resting in who God is, regardless of the outcome of our circumstances. And I want to say to you this morning, what kind of faith and trust are you developing? Your level of faith and trust in God, what kind of trust is it? Is it the kind that says, you know, if this works out the way I want it to, then that's good. Or is it, do you know what, God, I'd love it to work out this way and I believe that you're able, but if you don't, I'm not going to bow down and I'm still going to love you anyway. So perhaps you're single this morning and have you got that faith that says God is able, but if he doesn't, Or perhaps you're in a job situation that's tough. Perhaps you've got no job right now. Perhaps you're in a job that's tough and you say, God is able, and he is. God is able to give you a job or to give you another job, and he is able. But if he doesn't, where's your faith then? Where's your trust? Where's your love for him then? What about health? Many of you may be sick physically this morning. Is your faith level, God is able, but if he doesn't, I'm still going to love him anyway. What about finances under pressure? God is able, but if he doesn't, Family, marriage is under pressure. Kids are under pressure. God is able, but if he doesn't, 
What about the future, your dreams and your plans? God is able, but if he doesn't, what will you do then? And could God put inside of us a heart to say, I want to develop a trust that's immovable and unshakable, that believes that God, you are able, and look for that. But if you don't, I'm going to still love you and trust you anyway. So what happens next? Well, in in verse 19, the king was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers to tie up these three guys and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent. The furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now let me just pause for a moment and say something. We're using this as a metaphor to describe what happens in life, okay? We're not talking about a literal furnace or a literal pit filled with lions. But I want you to know, in the history of the church, this has not just been a metaphor, this is real. You see, with the disciples, all of them but one died for their faith. They were crucified, beheaded, uh, speared, sawn in two, all kinds of horrific things. And when you look through church history, this has happened often. Polycarp was a student of John and it served Jesus for years and, and in his 80s, was taken into imprisonment in Rome and was commanded to recant his Christian faith and he wouldn't. And he said this, for 86 years I've served him. Why should I deny my king who has saved me? And so they burnt him. And as the flames began to come up, no hair on his head was singed and they couldn't understand it. So they stabbed him and eventually he died. And just before he died, he prayed this, I praise you for making me worthy to be received among the number of the martyrs this day and hour so that I share in the cup of Christ for the resurrection of my soul. Talk about faith. Talk about an immovable, unshakable trust. Our God is able, but if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down, even if it costs us our life. A guy called Origen in the, in the second century, again a teacher who was killed for his faith, he said this, they have burned our possessions, but they cannot burn Jesus from our hearts. And I want you to know, this is not just history, but this is happening right now. There are more people who have lost their faith, uh, lost their life for faith in Christ in the last hundred years than in all the other years put together. Many of you will know on social media and on the news of that horrific story in Sudan of that, that girl, that, that woman, married and, and you know, become a Christian and, and basically the government saying, unless you recant and, 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 and you know, turn away from your faith, you will be hanged. She's pregnant. They're going to wait till the baby's born and then she'll be killed. Horrendous happening right now. So we need to be aware of that. We need to pray for people like that, don't we, in that situation. But for many of us, it is a metaphor, but it's still real. Still real that we're in the furnaces and that we're in these kind of pits. So what happened? Because the story isn't over. If we go back in verse 24, the king then leapt to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. Look, I see four men walking around in the fire and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So they came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. I want to say something as we finish. What happens when you develop an immovable, unshakable trust in God and you end up going through the fire or going into the pit? Three things happen. Number one, you meet God in that place. 
You see, that fourth person was what's called a theophany. It's in other words, it's an appearance of Jesus before he actually appeared as a man. Okay, it's a little deep and a little bit out there. I understand that. Okay, but it basically, it was God who met them in the furnace. And if you and I have a faith that says, you know what, God, if I'm going to go through a tough time for my faith, I'm going to go through it because I'm going to meet you in it. You see, we live in a culture of entitlement. Where in the West, Christianity in the West, basically, okay, in Europe and North America and Australia, it's like... I don't mind following you, Jesus, as long as it's really comfortable and I get no trouble and I get no ridicule and I'm never under pressure, then I'll follow you. And yet that's not the kind of faith that really pleases God. You know, the Apostle Paul had what he called a thorn in his flesh. We don't really know what that was, but it was something in his life that he wanted that he wished wasn't there. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. In essence, what Paul is saying is, I've got a furnace right now, but you know what? God will meet me in the furnace. I wish it was different and I pray that it would go, but it's not going away. But his power is made perfect in my weakness. Here's a thought. Could you imagine that God in heaven, okay, might have a wall chart calendar and he might circle a date with my name on it. And underneath that, he might leave a little bit of note to himself in case he forgets. Of course he won't. And it basically says this, on this date, meet Leon in the furnace. Interesting thought, isn't it? Meet Leon in the furnace. Meet Merlin in the furnace. Meet Martin in the furnace. Meet Mark in the furnace. Meet James in the furnace. Meet Gemma in the furnace. And could it be that if you and I say, do you know what? I don't want this heat. I don't want this pressure. I'll just bow down. I'll just bow down to the culture because I don't want to go there. We will miss out on meeting God when it really matters. And many of you know that in your darkest moment, in your hottest moment, in that moment when it's been so fierce and so intense or in so low in the pit, that's when you've met God the most, isn't it? You met God and we meet him when we're in the furnace. Secondly, our faith goes to a whole new level. You know, if you play video games, which I don't, but if you play them, you'll, you'll know that you get used to a game at one level and then, then you've got to go to another level and it tests you a little bit more. You go to another level and you keep going up and your faith grows like that as well. Your trust grows like that as well. And then finally, God will get the glory through your life and faith. You see, in this situation, God was able and he kind of delivered them from it and that was impacting, but it's just as powerful in God's sight when he doesn't do that and when our faith stays strong. You see, God will get the glory through your life and faith and in these two stories, both kings were impacted by the faith of these three men and then of Daniel. And the Bible says that they gave praise to God and things changed in the environment because of the faith of those guys. I want you to know this morning, things will change in your world and environment around you when we have this kind of faith and trust in who God is. As we finish this morning, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And through this series, we've, we've been encouraging you to get a hold of that CD from Casting Crowns uh, uh, called Thrive, which is where this series, the title for this series has come from. And right at the beginning of the series, uh, the band sang the title track of the song. And what we want to do this morning is we want to sing for you... Um, Another song, which I think is the strongest song on the album. The lyrics are unbelievably powerful. And this is what the chorus says. So when you're on your knees and answers seem so far away, you're not alone. Stop holding on and just be held. 
Your world's not falling apart. It's falling into place. I'm on the throne. Stop holding on and just be held. And I just sense in these last few moments, just hold where you can if you can for these last few minutes. Some of you are in a position where you're having faith and you're having trust. And it's a holding on kind of faith and trust, which is great. But could it be that God is saying to you this morning, stop holding on, let go. Because ultimately, faith and trust isn't about how how tight you hold. It's about how you let go and how much you trust in God. And it could be that for some of us, there are things in our life where we're holding on and we're believing for that. And that's all great. And that's all important. But could it be that we say, God, I really want that. I'm really believing that. But you know what? I'm going to let go and I'm just going to be held. That sometimes takes more faith than holding on. I'm going to ask you to stand. And it might be this morning that there are some of you here and, and you identify with that. You kind of feel like you're holding on in something and you really want to develop a trust that's immovable and unshakable. And I'm going to ask you to do something which is going to be quite scary for you. I'm going to ask you to let go and experience who God is. So I'd love to pray for you this morning. And what I'm going to ask you to do is sit down. So while we're all standing, if that's you this morning, and you know that's you, and you're going through a furnace, you feel like you're in that pit, and you really want to meet God in that, let your trust grow and develop. I want to ask you just to sit down where you are. God, I don't want to ask you to stand or to come out. I want to ask you to let go and sit down. Rest in who God is. Experience His arms. Experience His power and His grace underneath you. The Bible says underneath are the everlasting arms. Sometimes you feel like you're falling and that point you hit, you realise you'll never fall too far. So if that's you this morning, why don't you just sit down? And what would be great is if you're standing up and someone's sitting down around you, why don't you just put a hand on their shoulder and just begin to pray for them. You don't need to ask them anything, just pray for them. There's some guys at the back there as well and over here. Let's make sure no one's left out and I'll pray. But you just pray right where they are. And the letting go is really hard. Sometimes it's the letting go where we can experience being held so much. So God, we want to pray for every single person who has sat before you this morning. God, would you encourage them? Would you, I just pray, even the physical acts of sitting and having people surround them would be powerful for them. And God, as they let go and as they rest in you, God, I pray that you'd fill them with your spirit again. Give them hope where hope has gone away. Give them strength and courage where that has just faded. God, strengthen them. And would you meet them in the furnace, I pray. Would you meet them in the furnace? As the heat goes up, God, would you meet them in that place right now, we pray. Holy Spirit, would you touch them right now? God, I pray all over this place that you would meet them in Jesus' name. God, for some of these guys, they've just begun. They're not quite sure they even want to follow you. Some of these people have been Christian a long time. God, in one sense, we're all human. We all know what it is to be holding on and we all know how hard it is to let go. So God, let us let go and let us experience you this morning, I pray. Holy Spirit, would you encourage them speaking in their lives right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we all stand if you're able. And if you, just before we sing a final song, I really want us to pray for our young people this morning. So if you're taking exams, guys, I'd like you to sit down as well. Is that all right? And guys, look, why don't we go gather around those guys as well? And maybe others as well. 
taking exams right now. Let's really pray for them. Lord Jesus. Father, we want to pray for our young people and there may be some not so young taking exams as well. And God, we really want to pray that your presence would be with them in these next few weeks. They've got to do some hard work themselves. But God, I really pray that your presence would be known with, to them as well. And whatever grades they get, God, help them know that you love them, that you're with them, that you can meet them in the middle of this furnace that it feels like when you're taking exams. So God, would you strengthen them and encourage them? Would you bring to their memory things that they've learned and revised? And God, would you help them with anxiety, with fear, with apprehension, with all those things? And would you just be with them in the middle? Let them know that they're not alone when they sit in that exam hall and they turn the examination question over and they get that immediate thing, oh my goodness. Let them know that they're not alone, that you're with them, we pray. And I pray, God, that every single one of them will know that in Jesus' name. Amen.